Amen. You can take your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 127. We are on the last part, second part of a two-part series on the family. Now, just to help you here, don't zone out if you don't have kids or if your kids have gone, especially those of you who are older, more mature. (laughs) Are you with me? Even if you are single and you don't have any kids, please stick with us today. Because I want us to see something from God's Word, just like Travis talked about last week, that is so true, that hits all of us where we are today. Let me give you a, a, to to just start off today, let me talk to you about um, something that you may know nothing about. Um, Does anybody know what the fertility rate of the United States is? Well, let me just say this. Do you know what the fertility rate is, period? I, I, didn't th- I, didn't, I didn't either. I had to look it up myself. The fertility rate is how many children are produced by each man and woman in America as a couple. The fertility rate in America is 2.05 currently, which means every man and woman who have kids has two children, basically. Now, now that's pretty good if you look at the rest of the world because in Europe there are about seven countries, Italy, France... Spain, Belgium, Germany, whose birth rate, or excuse me, not the birth rate, the fertility rate is 1.35. We don't know what China's rate is because they won't divulge that, but we do know what their territory's rates are. Chinese Taipei, uh, Hong Kong, and Macau. The rates are between 1.1 and 1.5. Now, now here's what that means. For every couple who has children, married or unmarried, just every couple, there is one child born. The experts tell us that if that continues, anything below 1.35 is basically in a death spiral. In other words, their countries will cease to exist in the next few generations. That's astounding to hear, isn't it? That there is absolutely no way that their countries can sustain the pace at which they are having children. They're going over the waterfall. We're keeping up. We're, we're equal, basically. But isn't that a tragedy? You say, Tom, why would you tell us that? Well, even though the fertility rate for us, we're equal, the, the truth is, is it tells us a lot about what people think, listen to this, about kids. My wife and I, we met in uh, college. We met in a basketball class in 1989. I was obviously, if you know my wife, the fortunate one. Pray for her. We married in 1992. I had been out of college for one year. My wife was graduated a year later, and she was a um, third grade teacher, fourth grade teacher. I came home in May of uh, 1993, um, one afternoon after we found out that we were pregnant with our first child only four months after we were married, and my wife says to me, Tom, I'm quitting my job, which my response was, she's emotional right now, sure she's going to come down from that, 
Because we've got a dream. She did quit. She's 18 years later, she's still home, and I'm thankful for that. And that was one of the best decisions we ever made for us. But I'll tell you, it threw a monkey wrench in our giddy up. You know what I'm saying? That's not the plan. That wasn't what we planned. In August of 1993, God gave us Matthew Cole. In May of 1995, God gave us Macy Page, a good southern name. In 1997, July, God gave us our third child, Elijah Clay. In 2001, God gave us our fourth child, uh, Meredith Grace. And then in 2003, God gave us James Caden. So we're doing our part to bring the fertility rate up (laughs) for our country. Some of you need to help us here. Can't do it by ourselves. But you know, I didn't always think about kids like I do now. And I got to be honest with you, not just because I'm a dad or a parent. In 2004, we moved our family to Florida to serve at a church there in Orlando. And when I got there, I became, I I thought I was going as the college evangelism pastor, but what really turned out was, and I hope you understand my heart on this, I actually became the ministry mutt. That's a joke. No, that wasn't the title. But that's what I felt like because every time a a job opening came uh, available, my pastor would say, Tom, can you do this just for a while until we get the next guy? And so I was the youth pastor. I was the children's pastor. I I, I was afraid that our Teddy would quit and then I'd have to be the music guy. And that wouldn't have been good. But when I became the children's pastor, it was the one area where I went, I have no idea what I'm doing. My pastor thought exactly opposite because he thought, He's got five kids. Surely he knows something about kids. I I knew something about kids. I just didn't understand the importance of kids as Jesus saw it. I mean, I did a little bit, but I never really studied it. And so what I did was I would go to every conference. I read every book. I called every pastor I knew that knew anything about children's ministry. And I said, man, I need for you to pour into me. I need to understand like you understand because I've got this weight on my shoulders of children's ministry. And what I found out absolutely astounded me. George Barna wrote a book where actually when you leave today, I have a uh, kind of a bibliography. It's not really a big bibliography. It's a list of books that uh, I would like for each one of you to take home with you today to read some. You say, I I don't have kids or I've raised my kids or I'm not going to have children. But remember what Pastor Travis said last week. It is our responsibility, not just as families, but as the church. To see kids like God does. If in this service people gave their life to Christ at the rate they did at VBS this week. Wouldn't that be amazing? There would be more than 45 people who would give their life to Christ in this service alone. Do you remember the the statistics that... Travis gave us last week, one out of every three kids, children between 5 and 12 who hear the gospel will give their life to Christ. One out of every 26 youth between the ages of 13 and 18 will. And one out of every 24 adults. Listen, those aren't just statistics that somebody came up with. Those are cold, hard facts. Because something happens to us. We start becoming very distrustful of people, which is understandable, right? But we also distrust God in the same manner. 
When George Barner wrote his book, he, 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 he actually put together this book as he uh, interviewed young adults and mainly 13-year-olds. And here's what he found out. Let me give you just a few of the, the statistics that he came up with after doing this research. By the way, George Barner, in case you don't know, he may still be doing it. I'm not sure. He, he used to do all the statistics. If you saw any statistics on the front of the USA Today, that was George. Okay? So just to let you know. Here's what he came up with. He came up with the one-third of every child who hears the gospel, the one-twenty-sixth of every youth and the one-twenty-fourth. But listen to what else he found out. Basically, he said, in other words, because of these statistics, if people do not embrace the gospel by age 13, the likelihood of them doing so at all is slim. This isn't the only thing going on in our church today. This is a part of what's happening. But there's a VIP uh, preschool department going on. There's, there's Hope for Kids, our service for kids that are going on right over there. And, and let me just say this, okay? If we think that this is everything, then we're missing the whole point. Because not just for statistics, but in reality, kids will accept Christ. This kid did. I'll be 43 in less than a month. But I gave my life to Christ when I was 11. And I'll tell you, what I believed about God then hasn't changed. The only thing that changed is that now I know him more. But I knew enough then. In fact, I knew enough when I was nine. But I rejected him until I was 11. Doesn't that hit us? I mean, that should hit us between the eyes. If people don't embrace the gospel by age 13, the likelihood of them doing so at all is slim. To explain it differently, by age 13, your spiritual worldview identity is largely set. For just one second, go back to when you were 12. Do you know that when you were 12, for most of us, even if, we were, even if we accepted Christ after age 12, at 13, 15, 20, 30, 40, listen to me. You still think spiritually like you did before you were 13. To some degree. Even if you become a believer. Yes, I didn't believe in Christ and now I do. Well, that's a, that's a big one. That's awesome. That's great. But the truth is, is, especially if you were raised in a religion, doing religion, or in a church but not saved, the truth is, is that you still think in that manner. That's why it's so tough to reach kids after they turn 13. I believe the toughest ministry in our church is Pastor Scott's ministry. Not just because of the statistics. For those of you who have had teenagers or you have teenagers, you know they question a lot of stuff. Kids actually think we know what we're doing. They don't go, you know, uh, today, Pastor Mike, uh, let me just disagree with you on the point number two. No, kids go, whatever. That's great, wonderful. And so when we say, you know what, Jesus is God, they don't go, are you sure? They go, oh, okay. Jesus is God. Hey, mom, you know what? Jesus is God. That's what they said. They think we know what we're doing, right? And I hope we actually do. Listen to this. Nine out of every 10 young people, 13 years old, accept the existence of God. That blew me away. 
At 13 years old, out of every 13-year-old in our nation, or the study, nine out of 10 of them said, yes, I believe that God exists. Eight out of 10 of them said that they would like to have a close relationship with God. He wasn't interviewing just Christian kids. Listen to this. Two-thirds of young people are at least somewhat persuaded that the Bible is totally accurate. But even knowing those first three statistics, God exists, the Bible's totally accurate, I want a relationship with God, listen to this. Only three-fourths of them who actually claim to be believers, listen to, listen to this, they don't even believe that the devil exists. Those same kids, those same 13-year-olds believe that good people are on their way to heaven. More than half of them believe that when Jesus lived on earth, he committed sins. And this is an easy one. Most of them, more than half, say that there is no absolute standard, and that includes the Scripture, even though they think it is totally accurate. Do you know why they think that way? It's not just because they don't know Christ, or they do, or they have a wrong worldview, or because that's also what adults think. That's what their parents think. That's what their church has taught them. You say, Tom, are you serious? Absolutely. You said, one out of every three, though, Tom, you said, would give their life to Christ if they hear. But they will. But here's the reality. So few are hearing it. One out of every three will give their life to Christ. But so few are hearing. You say, Tom, in my family, we do. And that's awesome. And I think, listen, if you're here, obviously you've put forth some effort. But I'll promise you there are people in your neighborhood who have kids who will never hear the gospel. There are people who you work with who are never going to raise their kids like you are. They're never going to tell their kids about God. And you know why? Because they don't know God. Let's remember what Travis said last week. He said, God's primary instrument for reaching the next generation is the family. And God's primary support for the family is the church. And and let me just say this, church. Here's the deal. As a church, we have to wake up. See, some of you today have already checked out. You've already said, you know, Tom, really, I mean... Could you not bring something a little bit different? And, and let me just say this. The, the, the reason there are empty seats in here today and the reason we're not pushing people out the back door because there's just not enough room and the fire marshal's on the way is not because we don't believe what we believe. It's because 93% of, the, of this city doesn't believe it. We need hundreds of more churches. We have to wake up and understand that the way God sees kids is exactly the way that we should see kids. But here's what I know. That is not the way we see it. And I've noticed that churches, in churches, we are more intent on repairing adults than we are helping kids come to Christ. And I'll tell you, I'll work my fingers to the bone to repair anything I can for you. I promise you. You call and make an appointment at our church, we'll meet with you. We'll pray with you. We will help you. We will walk some stuff with you. But wouldn't it be great if we didn't constantly repair adults, but raise kids up who love Jesus, love the church? 
Something to think about. Here's what Barna said at the end of his study. My study suggests that whatever beliefs a person embraces when they are young are not likely to change as the individual ages. In addition, the consistency means that the average young person will encounter fewer adults or peers whose worldview is sufficiently different enough as to pose a serious challenge to his or her belief system. So with every day that is passing, these kids are coming in contact with less and less and less believers. Last week, Pastor Travis gave us a couple of defining statements, and I want to show those to you again today. Defining statement number one, the greatest window of opportunity to reach the next generation is shrinking every day. Why? One out of every three kids who, get, who hear the gospel between 5 and 12 will give their life to Christ, but one out of every, excuse me, uh, yeah, one out of every 26, 13 to 18 will. So every time a 9-year-old turns 10, a 10-year-old turns 11, an 11-year-old turns 12, a 12-year-old turns 13, the time that we have to reach them is shrinking. I'm going to say something here that you may or may not agree. You may agree with, you may not agree with. I believe that's why children's ministry is one, if not the most important ministry in our church. Mike, you correct me if I'm wrong because you've been in children's ministry a while. I I haven't seen the list that's the waiting list for children's servants. Does that exist? No. But but I will say this. Most people want to go to the youth ministry, and I love youth. I have three myself, and Scott does an awesome job. But here's the reality. Here's the reality. One out of three, one out of 26. You know what makes great youth ministries? Great children's ministries. If you go to a small church, the first thing they'll say is, we need a pastor. And then, even before a music guy sometimes, they say, we need a youth pastor because we've got to help our youth. Well, let me tell you, you should have helped them when they were six. Because now their frontal lobe is beginning to develop and it is messed up. Have you had a teenager in your house? Not only do kids think that that, that their leaders at church know what they're doing, they think their parents know what they're doing. So this window is shrinking. Defining statement number two, God has entrusted us with the responsibility of reaching the next generation. And let me just say this, not just the family, absolutely the family, and that's where we're going to focus today somewhat, but the church. That's why I said, and I stood last week and the week before and said, listen, VBS is coming up. If you can be involved, please do. Find your niche, find your place, find your way. Because here's what I know. 14% of the kids that came last week gave their life to Christ. And you know why there weren't more? Because about 80% of them were already believers. More than 90% of the kids that were at Vacation Bible School last week, listen to me, are followers of Jesus Christ. I would venture to say that in this room today, not even 90% of us are. Look at what Psalm 127 says. Verses 1 through 5. We're going to do the whole chapter. You don't get to say that much when you preach, but here we're going to do the whole chapter. The Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, 
to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man who, or how happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Now, at first glance, this, this passage of scripture looks like it's talking about two different things. It looks like the writer here, which is actually Solomon, is not thinking well. <laughs> Building a house and kids are a blessing. How does that go together? This was a song that the Israelites would sing as they would go up three times per year to Jerusalem. And they wouldn't sing it as Israelites, they would sing it as individual families. And the fathers would lead and the, and the moms and the kids and, and the grandparents, they would all sing this together so that they would all know how important their family is, how important it is to be a family and to raise a godly family. So when, when the Bible says here, uh, uh, unless the Lord builds the house, understand that to mean not bricks and mortar or nails and hammers, okay? Unless the, the Lord builds, listen to this, a home. A home. Unless the Lord is the one who's fostering the growth in the house. Unless the Lord is the one who's doing it. We can only build what's temporary. Here's point number one. Biblical reality number one. Human effort in building a home is useless without God. Our effort without God is useless. Because the only thing that we can do is build something that is temporary. Unless Jesus, God, is building the home, we are building for nothing. Let me give you a couple of examples in this, okay? Most of us, all of us, I think, want our kids to be more successful financially than we are. We've all said that. My parents said it. I've thought it, even though I may not have said it in that manner. We all think that way. We want them to have more than we had. We want them to go farther than we did. We want them to, to be blessed more than we are, right? And so what we do is, is we, we, we tell them, right, here's what I want you to be. I want you to be dot, 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 dot. But don't do not, 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 not. <laughs> and here's why. Because we are trying to build them into something. We want them to get what we didn't have. We want them to, to be successful. We want them to win. We want them to, to gain and that's awesome. The only question is, what does God want? What does the Lord want? Let me challenge you on something today. Because I challenge me with the same question. Do you want your kids to be more godly than you do for them to be successful? Do you want your children... And listen, for those of you who don't have children, don't, don't check out on me today. The Lord may not have blessed you with children. He may not have given you children, but listen to me. In your church, listen to me, family, you can help kids come to a knowledge of the truth. Maybe he hasn't given you children so you can be more effective here for those who don't have the upbringing they need. But let's go back to that question. Are you more concerned with them becoming godly then you are being successful. Because if you're not, listen to me, we are, if, if we are not, we are building a house in vain. How about this one? 
I love sports. All you got to do is come to my office and look. You'll, you'll figure it out quick. I, I played baseball all my life. I know it doesn't look like it now, but I actually did. In the past, I still love it. Collect baseball cards, not as much as I did, obviously. Uh, but uh, I, I, anything about baseball, I want to be a part of it. I love sports. UT Vols, go, big orange. I mean, I love it. But some of us would drive to Washington State to watch our six-year-old play a football game. I'm not against it. I love sports. Hear, hear my heart. But do we want them to be more godly than we do successful in sports? See, here's what I think. I think that people who are successful in business or some kind of vocation or some kind of sport, I think that's awesome. And I think that both can be done at the same time. But here's the question. Does God want it done at the same time? Because most of the time, what we're doing is this, and this is going, and then we're coming to Scott in the youth ministry, and we're going, Scott, help us. Do something. Are you not preaching on that? Are you not teaching them about purity? Are you not helping them to know God better? And the whole thing was, we missed it back there. Nobody's coming to Pastor Aaron saying, I really need help with my child. He's really going wayward. No, children. But he's warning us here. If we're wanting this, when I know God's wanting this, them to be godly, we're working in vain. It is useless. We're getting tired for absolutely nothing. He goes on to say there, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Here's just another, uh, another way of saying what he's, what he's just said. The first part of verse one and the second part of verse one are basically the same thing. If you are doing this for your gain or for what you think their gain will be, aside from what God wants, what if your child came to you and said, mom or dad, I think I'm, I'm supposed to be in the ministry. I'm supposed to be a missionary. I'm supposed to preach the word of God. How would you feel about that? That, that, that happened to me, obviously. I went to my dad and I said, dad, I, I think God's calling me in ministry. Now, I was 28 when it happened. But I said, dad, I think God's calling me in ministry. I said, what do you think? You know what he said to me? He said, son, since you were 13 years old, we thought that, but we didn't tell you. We just wanted to see what God was going to do with that. But I'll tell you this, we'll support you in whatever happens. I remember the day Crystal and I, we, we came down to make it public that, that we had surrendered to the ministry. They took us to the back and the counselor that was there. I mean, Crystal and I, we were like, yes! Woo! What a ride this is going to be! Wow! And the guy who was counseling us, we get in the back, and you know what he says to us? He goes, I'm so sorry. This is going to be rough. <laughs> we're going to pray for you. We're not going to forget you. I'm thinking, what in the world? Do you know why? Because some of us, if our kids came to us and said, I think this is what God's doing, we'd go, uh-uh. Uh-uh. This is what I got. Because that, you are not going to be that successful. You're not going to make it. You're not going to have the big house and the vacation home and three cars. You're not going to do it. Which is true. 
But you know what? This is what God has for me. And I'm telling you this, I don't want to do anything else. I did something else. And I made more money. But I wasn't fulfilled. How are we helping? Listen, this is, this is something for us, not just our kids, but how are we helping them? Be what God wants you to be. Do what God wants you to do. Because in that, that's where you'll find fulfillment. That's where you'll truly be used by God. He goes on in that second verse. Listen to what he says. He said, it is in vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep. Basically right there he says, listen. You worry so much and you're so concerned and you're, you're, you're constantly trying to figure out what do I need to do for my child? What do I need to find out to help them? I, I, I'm going to stay up late. I'm going to get up really, really early. He said, but what's going to happen in the end is you're going to eat the bread of sorrows. And here's what the bread of sorrows is. You're going to look back when they're 18, 19, 20, 25 and you're going to go, I missed it. It was God, not stuff. I'm going to look back and I'm going to go, oh my goodness, we worked so hard and we spent so much time and, and so much energy was given. But the truth is, is that we could have done nothing and gained the exact same thing. It's useless. The bread of sorrows, you'll look back and what you'll eat is, oh, I didn't do it correctly. I missed it. I didn't do it like God said. Because here is something that you can count on. Every person that God has ever created was created for a purpose and a reason. And God has something for each one of us, each individual person. I want that for my kids. Listen, I'm still learning how to parent. My oldest is 18 now. My youngest is eight. Little Caden, my eight-year-old, if you work in hope for kids, God bless you. We thought we, were, we, we thought we knew what we were doing until Caden came along. Sweet little boy. So much energy. I mean, more energy than the normal kid, I think. But here's what I know. When he was about three, and we were like, oh my goodness. Lord, thank you. But this is, I don't know what I'm doing I thought I had four and that would be good. It was like God told me, he said, Tom, I've got something for him that you don't understand. There's a story that Howard Hendricks tells about a little boy and a little girl in the Sunday school class. And the little girl's real prim and proper and she's just so nice and sweet and she does everything the teacher wants. And the little boy comes in and he's like thumping people on the head and diving under the table. And the whole time I'm going, that's, that's my boy. That's my boy. I mean, I'm, I think I'm a good parent, forgive me, but... I can't stop some of the things that he does, you know. And Lord, what am I going to do with him? But here's what he said. When the, the parents come to pick the, the little boy and the little girl up. And Susie, she's just, oh, bye, teacher. Mm, you know, bye, see you later. Holds hands with her mom and dad. <laughs> little Johnny, as soon as dad gets there, he runs down the hall. Yeah! He's like, Johnny. <laughs> he said, fast forward 25 years. Susie's still doing what she does. She's still prim and proper and really nice. And she sits in the church every week. But that's all she does. She got all the answers. Little Johnny, 
He's putting GPS systems in the Himalaya mountains where they can find the last people group. Do you know why? Because that's how God wired little Johnny. You know why? Because God had a purpose for Johnny. And so many times we want Johnny to do this and this and this and this, but God's got this. And he's going to show it, not just through his word, but listen to me close, through his people here at this church. That's why I said I want you to listen, whether you have kids, whether you don't, whether your kids are out of the house or not. You can have an impact in the kingdom of God with the people who are here. Listen, the best thing you can do if you're older is to encourage us who are younger. We really don't know all that we're doing. We need you. John Piper says this. He says, it seems to me that the point of verse 1 especially is that no matter how hard you work to achieve anything, it's achievement, listen to this, and the fulfilling enjoyment of it depends decisively on God. If we do not trust in God with all our heart but instead rely on our own insight, then we might, if he wills, produce a monument. But in the end, it will only be a monument to, to futility. So what are we working toward? What God wants or what we want. Because if we're working toward what we want without him, here's what we're building. Nothing. We're doing it in vain. Biblical reality number two. God gives children to families to bless them. The Bible says in verse three, behold. That word means to look, to gaze, to take a look at. Behold this. Children are a heritage from God. That's the way one version says it. And it's actually, I think, the best translation. Because here the word heritage, uh, we're talking about uh, God giving children to families to bless them. Number one, children are a gift. Of all the things he could have said, of all the gifts that we think he's given us, the first thing he said was children are a gift from God. But the way we read that sometimes is wrong because the word gift here, the word heritage, the word possessions or portion, ever how you want to uh, translate that word, is really, listen to this, best said like this. Not a heritage for us in the future, but listen, a heritage that's God's that he gives us. Does that make sense? It's not a heritage for us. We go, wow, he gives, he's given these kids to me so I can have a great heritage. Maybe, but that's not what that means. He's giving us his heritage. He's given us his heritage. He's given us his gift. He's given us his possession. We have our kids for just a short time. And he says, I want you to be responsible for that. Kids are a gift. But then the Bible says they're a reward. The fruit of the womb is a reward. These kids are blessings to us. But I'll tell you this. I'll... I'll I joke about this a lot, but you should, our society doesn't see that. The American society doesn't see it. Neither do the seven countries in Europe, or neither do the Chinese people as a government. The Chinese people are awesome, wonderful people. But somehow, we've gotten away from understanding that kids are a gift and a blessing and a reward. But we see them as a burden. Let me give you an example of that. Go to dinner with me sometime. Out. Yeah, can I help you? Welcome to Shoney's. Can I help you? Yeah, uh, table for seven. Oh my goodness, seven. Um, seven. It's going to be just a minute. And then they go to the back and they start pushing tables together and they're like, you know, corralling off an area, you know, because we got kids and they're going to be loud and people won't like that, you know. So we got to, you know why? Because kids really are a burden to our society. There have been almost 50 million babies in our 
country perish because we believe that too. Not just babies, but people who are going to be people who had a purpose. There's only 300 million of us. You do the math. And they were all since I was born. I was born in 1968. 50 million babies since the early 70s. Never saw the light of day. That had a purpose and a goal. But I will tell you, our society doesn't see you say, Tom, I, I couldn't handle it because but I, I'm, I'm young or I've got this plan. Or Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Children are not just a, a gift and a reward. Children are also a future blessing. They are arrows in the hand of a warrior. We are responsible for them. Arrows left in any quiver are useless. It is us taking our bow and, and pointing at a target and shooting these arrows. Our children are the best defense for what we believe about God. They are the greatest witness for what we truly have faith in. Hey, uh, listen, you want to know if, it, listen, I know kids can go wayward. I've got cousins that have. My brother and sister are, are godly people. And, and so for my parents, when I look, I think they did a great job. But I see my aunts and uncles who did a great job too. And their, their kids went, mm-hmm. So, so when I say that, I'm not placing any blame, but here is what I'm saying. If I'm shooting this way, it usually doesn't go over there. Hear my heart. We determine so much more than we think. Children are not just a future blessing. They're, lastly, children bring happiness and blessing to a family. The Bible says, happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. You ever seen the Duggars? That is a happy dude, right? I'll tell you this. I've never talked to a family with a lot of kids whose kids didn't say this. We're going to have a lot of kids too. There's something about it. Kids bring happiness to a family. They bring laughter and fun and excitement. I'll tell you, they make family vacations fun. Kids are a blessing to us. And then the Bible says in that last verse, they ultimately will defend us someday. They will actually take care of us. I had a friend that I uh, um, worked with, and they didn't have any children. I asked him, I said, um, you guys weren't able to have I don't mean to, you know, try to get in your business, but you guys couldn't have kids. Or, you know, he goes, no, we could I said, but you don't? He said, no. I said, do you ever, I said, do you ever regret it? He's, he's close to 60 now. I said, do you ever regret it? Do you know what he said to me? More and more every day I live. They did a sur- survey of people. Uh, I forget the exact age. I want to say it was over 70. And they asked him this question. If there's one thing you could do over in your life, what would it be? What would you do differently? And you know what the number one answer was? 80%. Four out of every five people. Here was the answer. Have more kids. Because let me tell you, when it's, I, I'm, I'm in it right now, okay, so I, I know this. When you're young and you're not making much, you think, oh my goodness, I can't have any more. That's ridiculous. They're costly. And, they're, and, and you know what they are? I've had these shoes for a while. <laughs> I think that's why God doesn't let our feet grow and, you know, we can stay the same, basically. <laughs> we don't need anything nude. We just got to buy them some shoes, you know. Listen, at the end of our life, we see what's really important. And basically, the psalmist here is saying, don't miss it. Don't miss this. Don't 
Put so much effort into what you want that you totally leave God out. Ask God what he wants and then you jump on board with what God is doing even in your kids' lives. Here's the bottom line. One of our highest priorities, families and as a church must be to pass on to the coming generations what God has done in and through us that they might know the glory of God and understand his greatness. Two questions for you and I'm done. Number one, am I taking my investment in the next generation seriously? Listen, if all you do is show up here and come in this service, you're missing it. This is awesome, and Teddy does a great job, and Pastor Vance and Travis, they they teach wonderfully, excuse me, they teach wonderfully, but there's so much more going on, not just here either, but during the week. But here, there are two, I I, I told the the group last night, if some week we come in and Teddy and Vance are are not here, it won't be because they're on vacation, it'll be because they're they're watching people in VIP, because there is nobody to watch them. We all want to take our kids over there, but hardly any of us want to actually stay. But you know what? Those kids are learning at this moment how to be loved by Christians from the moment we're doing this. So are you taking it seriously? Number two, at my stage of life, what is the most effective way to invest in the next generation? At the stage of life you're in, how can you do it best? Let me encourage you. We are not going to, from this stage, ask you to go sign up or to get on a list somewhere. I want you to want to do that. If we have to ask for that, we won't have the people that we need. But I'm going to ask that God lay it on your heart. I'm just going to tell you what we need. We need people to pour into the lives of kids. And I'm telling you, when we do, we won't be repairing adults. We won't be able, this gym's not big enough for the people that God will send. When we take care of kids and we love them.